Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. is all the all the under 40s or under 30s are saying who's that um good that's great that's great i'll set it up near the back and then uh, everybody will be able to see it so um uh, i want to pray for two people just first before we get going i want to pray for reggie all right and i want to pray for ruth keenan ruth will be watching by live stream Ruth's one of our members here, one of our faithful members, but not well at the moment, and lost her brother this week uh, on Friday, and Reggie lost his sister on Friday as well. So I'd love to pray for them. Could you put your hand in Reggie there, people that are near him? Father, I just want to ask you for this family. Lord, we uh, understand the, the throes of grief and understand the difficulties that come, and Lord, I just pray for the Twynham family and all the Jenkinson family. Lord, I just pray that you would be around them at this time and even over the next 24, 48 hours, Father, through um, all the goings-on and all the things that have to be arranged. Father, we just pray your anointing upon them. Lord, we lift Ruth to you tonight. We thank you for her faithfulness over the years to this house and to you. And Lord, as she mourns the loss of Eddie, her brother, Father, we just pray that you would bless her, that you'd be with her. And again, uh, even over the next... uh, 24, 48 hours, God, that she'd know your present spirit um, close by her. And Lord, for anyone else, Lord, even unknown to us in this room that are going through similar issues, Father, we just lift them to you and ask you that you would just be their very present help in time of need, in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless your edge. Um, and Ruth. We are in this series looking at first things first, looking at the whole idea of uh, making sure we seek first the kingdom of God. You know that past September past, we began to look at revival and felt after three nights on the theme that God wouldn't allow us to go off the subject. And so we, um, we kept sort of beating the drum and uh, waiting on God. It was a time we felt as a church to hit the pause button, button um, which we're not that good at at times because it's all go, go, go. And so we felt it was important to hit the pause button and wait. And we built it around this verse in Habakkuk, or as our American friends call it, Habakkuk. Um, not that sure where they got that, actually, but there you go. Um, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day in our time, make them known, and in wrath, remember mercy. And so the cry is, as you see in Wednesday night, the cry is, do it again, God, revive us again. And David Legg is going to be sharing um, the opening of the prayer meeting this week as well, and around that whole idea of reviving again. I wonder, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about how God prepares people? Have you ever thought about in your own life how God prepares you for things? Life has a way of preparing us for things, and life has a way of of not being as simple sometimes as we think it to be. I often say if, if I were to write the book of my life, there's chapters that I would leave out. There's chapters that I wouldn't include. You, you're the same. Every one of us are the same. If we were um, 
to do that. And I began to think this week of how God prepared some people in the Bible, and the list is long. This is not exhaustive in any shape or form. But when you think of these people, how God prepared Abram with a long journey, sending him out somewhere, not even telling him where he's going, just send him, I want you to leave everything, and I want you to go, and when you go, I'll start to show you where you're going. Jonah, who stepped out of the will of God, and God moved the goalpost and brought him right back into his will again, but did it through a very um, unique way by getting him thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish and boked up onto, sorry for the imagery, but boked up onto a beach somewhere. Moses in the foster home of Pharaoh's court, Esther with a lavish banquet and all that went around her life, Isaiah with a hot coal touching his lips. Sounds pretty rare, doesn't it? Daniel in a den of hungry lions. David um, minding sheep. I'm getting lost. David minding in a field minding sheep. You've got Joseph forgotten in a prison cell. Actually, if you read the passage, two full years passed and nobody thought anything about him. Then you've got Jacob with his vision of the ladder. You've got Daniel in his den of lions. You've got Martha in her messy kitchen. You've got Peter with a storm. You've got the disciples waiting 40 days um, um, in the upper room waiting for God to come. You've got Hannah waiting for a long answered prayer for her son, Samuel. And then you've got Paul on the Damascus Road. And on and on we could go. It's not an exhaustive list. But I, I began to think about the seasons of my life that God began to prepare things and, and, and how, and you've often heard me say this, that the, the promise and the fulfillment of the promise are usually, there's a gap in between and I call it the gap theory. <laughs> and if we could understand that gap theory, because it's in that gap that people backslide, it's in that gap that, that people lose faith, it's in that gap that people fall away from God. And so tonight, basically, my question to you, I've got a, a, a statement and a question, all right? A statement and a question, and are you prepared to be prepared? <laughs> are you prepared to be prepared. Because if God is preparing us for something, and here's my, my statement and my question tonight, um, nothing great just happens. That's my statement tonight. Nothing great just happens. All right, we're expecting revival. We're praying for revival. We're looking for revival. Can I say to you that nothing great just happens. It doesn't just happen. And the question is, that's my statement, the question is, what are you reaching for? What is it you're reaching for? And uh, that will become a little plainer as we go on. We're going to turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter um, 32. I'm going to read it from the ESV. If you've got it in your phone, you can look along. I don't have it in the screen, sorry. But um, Exodus 32, we're going to read the first eight verses. If you haven't got a it on a phone or something, you can listen and, and, and try and take it in. It's the story of the golden calf. I'm stuck on this at the minute. I preached several messages around it, and so I'm sort of stuck in it at the minute. But it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, so Moses has been away for 40 days. He's been away the guts of a month and a half. All right, and it says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down the mountain, the people gathered themselves together and to Aaron and said, up. I love that. Up. Like, no, come on, snap, 
Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand. See that? He received it from their hand. That's what they reached for. And they fashioned it with the graving tool, and they made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves and have turned aside quickly out of the way that I've commanded them. And they have made for themselves a golden calf and worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, These are the gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. On and on we could go. We'll park it there. Let's pray. Lord, let's take of your word tonight and ask you, Father, that we won't take it lightly, that we'll handle it with care, that we'll handle it, Lord, like something precious like it is. I pray that you'd open our, art, our hearts and our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, our text picks up sort of at a pretty significant time. It's probably one of the most significant stories in all the Bible. The children of Israel had experienced God like no other people ever before. God had delivered them out of Egypt. They had witnessed the plagues, each one of those 10 plagues actually representing a, 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 a victory over a God that the Egyptians would have worshipped and having time to talk to you about that tonight. But um, uh, what, what happened was God, they had seen God reach in, as it were. They'd saw God reach in and unlock them from slavery. They, they, he, they, these were people who had nothing and they had saw God reach in through the 10 plagues and unlock them from slavery to the very point they came out, we would say, loaded. They came out loaded. They came out with gold and silver and precious stones and everything. God had opened a sea. He had blown open a sea before their very eyes when Moses, God had said to Moses, stand still and see the deliverance of God. God had blown open a sea in front of their very eyes where they would go through on dry land. And then they watched as God brought those seas back together and destroyed the mighty armies of Egypt. They had saw all this. God was leading them by a cloud by day, the Bible tells us, and a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire by night. And if that weren't cool enough, he gave them fresh bread every morning, manna from heaven, straight from heaven's bakery. This wasn't soda bread. This wasn't good old potato bread or sourdough. No, no, no. This are not like good conference bread that we remember, the, the, corn, the, the corn loaf. Um, but this was bread from heaven. This was like me going to my granny's on a Friday when she baked soda bread straight hot out of the oven. It was like heaven. And God leads them, providing for them, walking with them. Some of the greatest miracles actually in Scripture are found in this very text. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. 
And in our reading today, as I say, Moses has slipped up the mountain and he just hasn't come back. He's away almost a month and a half and he's returning with two slabs of stone, two tablets of stone, we would call them slabs of stone, on which the finger of God had written the ten, what we know as the Ten Commandments. And the first one of those commandments was, interestingly, interestingly enough, the first commandment was, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Not interesting. And I'm going to make a suggestion to you tonight that, that that one is the T-bar out of which all the others run. If you break the one, you'll break the nine. If you keep the one, you could keep the nine. And so it's interesting that he's coming down the mountain in this moment where they've made a golden calf. And the sin of idolatry was right before him. And when we worship other gods, we take the true God off the throne. That's what we do. And, and, and we have a, a group of people who, in the middle of all this moving of God, get frustrated with God's timing. Anyone here ever get frustrated with God's timing? Were you looking at your watch and then you're waiting in heaven? Anybody else? Like, Lord, my kids are driving me crazy. Lord, they're still driving me crazy. <laughs> you know, the, it's like, it's like we, we, when our watch and God's watch doesn't synchronize, when, it think, when, when this happens, we, 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 we make all our prayer commands, or, oh, sorry, I meant prayer requests. When we make all our prayer requests, commands, and, and you write them in your journal, and you date them, and, and they, lay, they lie dormant. That ever happened? And some of you in this room have all but given up hope of them ever coming to fruition because you haven't understood the gap. You haven't understood that between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise, there's always a thing called preparation. Preparation. Remember, nothing great just happens. Nothing great just happens. And so in this moment of preparation, these people feel, they, they, they feel miserable. And we're good, at, we're good at actually telling you about the times that God showed up. We're good at telling you about all the times that God showed up in time. But let's be honest, all of us, if we're believers in the room, we've experienced brass heavens. Even if you're not a believer, there's times I'm sure you've cried out to God and you've just experienced something bouncing off the roof. It's just like a, a brass heaven. And what do you do? when God doesn't respond? What do you do when he doesn't respond like you think he should? What do you do when God goes off script? What do you do when God doesn't do what you tell him to do? What do you do when God does his own thing? What do you do when God becomes a disobedient God? When God becomes our disobedient God. He's not doing what we tell him to do. What happens? You see, this is the moment, this, this exposes a dynamic in the relationship to God. You see, every relationship has a dynamic. It's like Laurie and my kids. There's a dynamic. They tell me what to do and I do it. That's the dynamic. All right, there's a dynamic in every home and every relationship. And, 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 and one time I, I showed our audience here, and not embarrass anybody tonight, but what we do is when we get saved, the idea is that we put Jesus on the throne of our life. And Jesus becomes the, 
the, the person who sits in the throne. And we, as it were, kneel at the throne and kneel at the feet of Jesus. Jesus is on the throne. This is great. This is wonderful. But as time slips by and God doesn't move to the time span that we expect him to, what we do is we push him off the chair. Now, we don't let him go out of the vicinity. Keep him close. So it's a bit like me and Jesus are doing well here. And everything's going good. And we sit back on the throne of our life. And we sit in control of this. And then crisis hits. We hear that there's a, a, a cutback in the firm that we work in. And there's, there's some jobs going to go. And you think, I'm, I'm about the, one of the last three in. I could lose my job. And Jesus gets back onto the throne again. I think I'm going to lose my job. Lord, I need you. I need you in the throne of my life. I'm sorry for the way I've been living. I'm sorry that I've taken control again. I'm giving it all back to you. And then what happens is, oh, oh so, so I'm not going to lose my job. I might get promotion, actually. And we're back on the throne. And, and now stay close, Jesus. We're going to we'll co-pilot this. We'll co-pilot. That's what we do. Lord, I, I need a partner. Lord, I need a partner. Could you get a partner for me? Could you, I like Bertha. God, could you bring Bertha into my life? You know, and like Bertha comes into your life and then it's like, oh Lord, Bertha's mad. Get her out of my life. She's driving me nuts. Lord, back in the throne. I, I know it's funny, but it, it is a little bit what we do. And, and we, we sort of, God's on and off the throne of our lives. And it's just like on and off, on and off. And, we, and many of us live our lives like this. And then you remember I did the little religious thing where we actually try to co-pilot and sit on the same seat. And like that just, that's an Instagram moment waiting to happen that. You know, just awkward. Even the Lord's bound to feel awkward with that. And so there's something about this idea of, of giving ourselves. You see, you see, Jesus didn't die to negotiate all your habits, all right? He died to save you. He died to transform you. He died to place destiny in your soul. He died to give you eternal life, not to co-share a seat with you, all right? And the problem is, the problem is, we want to write the script and we want him to sign off on it. We want to write the script of our lives and we say, God, here's all the things we'd like and here, would you sign off on it? You see, that's not going to work. The problem is you, you, you just can't live any way you want. You can't play fast and loose with God. I'm sorry if that disappoints you, but you can't. In my Bible, you can't. Listen to this verse in, in Hebrews 2, 3. Now, Hebrews is a great book, and it was written to believers. Somebody once said that Hebrews was probably written, written by a Hebrew to the Hebrews to warn the Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. That's exactly what it, the writer was saying. Stop going back. Stop going back to the old habits. Stop going back to the old things. How will you escape? He's talking to the believer here. How will you escape if you neglect what God has given you? It's not something you're searching for. It's something you've got that you're actually neglecting. It's an interesting passage. Now let me prophesy right now. Can I do that? That if we're going to see revival, and if we're going to see revival in our city, we need to surrender all. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take everything. That's what Christ demands. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. When, when, God, when God doesn't do it our way, 
Can I tell you what we do? We do exactly what the Israelites done. We either replace him or we dispose of him. We replace him. I, uh, one of the last DVD players that I bought was a little DVD for our living room. I think it was 28 pounds in Curry's. Gone to the days when there were hundreds. But that little DVD player, when I bought it, the guy asked me, did I want to take a five-year insurance policy out on it at 30 quid? And I goes, let me think about it. Uh, no. <laughs> right? Like, why would I? Why would I do that? Because, you see, the, the reason I wouldn't do it is because it's easily replaced. And that's the world we live in now. We either replace or we dispose. And they said to Aaron, give us a God that we can push around. Give us a God that we can use in our own terms, a God that we can control. You see, here's the thing. The Israelites had come out of Egypt, but Egypt just hadn't come out of them just yet. And, and, and they're going into default mode, and they're reverting back to their old idolatrous ways of living in Egypt at the expense of the one who set them free from all of that. Now, what do you do? What do you do when the old cravings come back again? What do you do when the old familiar idols of Egypt kept calling you? What do you do when you're out of Egypt, but Egypt actually still a bit of it in you? What do you do? What do you do when your hand reaches out to do it again? What do you do with that? What do you do when the old addiction creeps back? What do you do? You see, what happened when, when their hand reached out for the gold, their heart, their heart was never right. And and here's what happened. They, they began to reach for what was familiar instead of what was faithful. And it's easy in times of, of silence of heaven to reach what's, for what's familiar instead of what's really faithful. And we forget about the faithfulness of God in times past. And we grab for the familiar and, uh, and we need to challenge our hearts because it's in our hearts that idolatry exists. And all of our hearts is the same. Mind's the dead same. And it's, it's in your heart where you decide what to do or not to do because our hearts are designed to worship, you see. And it doesn't matter where, you are, where you're born or who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're a Protestant or a Roman Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're a Muslim or a Hindu. It doesn't matter. Every person was created in the image of God with a heart to worship God. We were created, that's the way we were all created. There's God-shaped hole in all of our lives. Billy Graham used to say that only God can fill. A God-shaped hole that only God can fill. And here's the thing, if you don't worship the real thing, you'll worship anything. If you don't worship the real thing, you, you see, our souls will worship our relationship. Our souls will, will worship money. Our souls will, will worship our kids. Or our, our identity, or whatever it can find to feed it. It just needs fed. Our hearts and our souls need fed. And you see, it's not your hands that's doing it, it's your heart that's already done it. And can I challenge our heart tonight, mine included? What's your heart worshiping? What is your heart worshiping? A good question to ask yourself is what, what do you think about most in life? What occupies your thoughts more than most things? That tells you an awful lot about yourself. Our hearts will bow at the altar of all kinds of things because it's designed to worship, you see, and, and it needs led to the proper altar to bow before. <laughs> and that's why we're doing these nights. We're trying to lead you to the proper altar to bow to. This is the thing. It needs connected to the right source. I told the story here not that long ago that I used to have a, 
a Citroen, a, 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 a Citroen 19B axe. I bought it with 200,000 miles on it. It had one careful owner. I wasn't sure about the other four. But, um, um, and, and it, it just, it, I used to have to carry two keys because when you got it started in the morning, you couldn't stop it. It just, you did jump, it, it was just, it was jump lead city. Every time you stopped it, we put new starter on it, put new battery in it, put, done everything, couldn't get the thing to start. And so what I used to do was, when I stopped at the shop, I had two keys, I just left it going, got out and locked it, and left it running. <laughs> so, and, and it worked, it really, really worked that. And, uh, and I used to carry the jump leads, you see, and, and what happened was, when you pull up, put the jump leads on, Lenny should know a lot about jump leads, because he's used them a lot in the last three or four weeks, waiting on his new car, but, uh, <laughs> but um, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, Lenny, but, uh, but I meant it, but um, when you put the jump leads on, what you do is, you, 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 you're, you're resourcing something that's not going so you're actually, you're putting jump leads onto something that's strong and resourcing something that's not strong. And if your heart is connected to an insufficient source, it won't save you, it will enslave you. If you connect those jump leads of your heart to an insufficient source, it won't start you, it will just enslave you. And it'll take you deeper and deeper and deeper. And so we try to put our attachment to we try to resource ourselves to a relationship. You just kill it because you're trying to take from a relationship what only God can give. You attach it to a bottle, to alcohol, it'll just, that, that, that'll just go Persia. That will destroy your life. That's what that will do. Because you see, for some, it might be alcohol or food and we think we can control it. But the truth is you're just, you're just trying to numb something that a beer or a hamburger won't do. And, and if you lock yourself into these wrong desires, you just, come and you just become enslaved. And Jesus come to set you free. He come to set you free. That's the beauty of it. Now, and the devil's a deceiver. He, we know this from our introduction to him in Genesis 3. He comes to create doubt. And he, he tells uh, Eve, he said, did, does, did God really say? And what's he actually doing? He's introducing Eve to something that actually doesn't exist up to this time. It was a thing called scarcity. Like, like God's shortchanging you, Eve. God's giving you all this good stuff, but he's holding back on you. And if you just step over this threshold, you would have so much more. And, and, and here we are. These people built a golden calf, and they start calling it God. This is the God that delivered us out of bondage. How ridiculous is that? Now, Aaron, some suggest that he might have been led astray to set this up as a, an image that he could worship Yahweh through. But it wasn't Yahweh. It's not Yahweh. These things aren't Yahweh. They're your way. And, and your way won't cut. And you can't call Yahweh your way. There's something about this. There's something. Some, you can't call Yahweh something that has your fingerprints all over it. And this golden calf had their fingerprints all over it. And the greatest curse of our day is where Satan has created an anemic view of Scripture and people pick out what they like and they interpret it to suit their lifestyles. And I've said this many, many times. And when this happens, when this happens, second point, and I've just got three, all right? Um, reaching, we're reaching for what's deformed instead of what's transformed. Reaching for what's deformed. I have lost count. I have lost count. Makes me angry. How many people quote Jesus turning water into wine? I actually, actually think, God, why did, you, why did you put it in there? 
Why did you put it in there? And I've lost count how many people could Jesus turn water into wine to make them feel good about drinking or to try and prove to you it's okay. I, I can't understand them. Listen to me. If you take a beer or a glass of wine, that's your business. I can't preach abstinence from the Bible, but I can, I can preach drunkenness. Man, I can. And don't you dare use that scripture to make you stumble in the bed knowing, not knowing what end you is up and say it's okay. And even what's more important, to cause your weaker brother or sister to stumble because that's a sin. That's a sin. And, and these are the things that we need to take serious. These are the things, it's total deception. And you can't just pick and choose. You can't, some people say, well, we're under the new covenant and we're sin abounds. Grace much more abounds. People say that to me. And I think, well, that's the hyper-grace movement. And the hyper-grace movement actually says we can, because we're not under the old covenant, we can live any way we like. Uh-uh, that ain't right. You see, Jesus actually came, didn't come to abolish the law. He come to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law. And, and it's, a bit like, it's a bit like a child wanting to go outside, and he asks mom, can he go outside? And mom says No. And then he goes and asks dad, and dad said yes. Anybody else's kids ever do that? Yeah, okay. Now, now, and then mom says, what are you doing outside? And they say, and you know what they say? Dad, yeah, thank you, somebody else. Dad told me it was okay. Now, when confronted, this is, just, the child has taken it totally out of context, all right? And, and because they know that if mom and dad were in the same room, the answer would have been the same. And, and I think, all right, I think, I believe it's the same here. I believe the Scripture's the same. We can't jump in and out of covenants to suit our lifestyle, all right? You just can't do that, all right? And Because and, I, I believe if you take the God of the Old Testament and take the Jesus of the New Testament, because they're Father and Son, and you put them with the Holy Spirit in the same room, you'll get the same answer. You'll get the exact same answer. You'll get, they'll both align you to the point of direction of holiness and righteousness and destiny and purpose. They'll, they'll both do it. And this is the thing. And, and do, you want me to, do you want me to tell you how to, I, I figured this out a long time ago. I wish I'd learned by it. But one of the reasons that I think you can actually recognize deception is that when the end result that you have the advantage of more control. That's how you'll recognize deception. When you think you can control your life and you can control your drinking and you can control your eating and you can control your relationships and you think you don't need God and you can just do the golden calf thing and push it about all you like. So sex outside of marriage. I know it's wrong, but we're committed to one another. So I think it's okay once we're committed. Uh-uh. Or, 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 yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, know I'd like to, I know I'd like to forgive them, God, but I just can't. I can't forgive them. Oh, what does it say? If I don't forgive them, you won't forgive me. Oh, it's okay, God. I better forgive them. You see, this is the thing. You can't pick and choose your way through the Bible. You can't pick your... Because while we have been given the right to the book, we didn't write the book. We've been given the right to the book, but we didn't write the book. And you don't be afraid to question the Bible. God can handle your scrutiny. All right, Zechariah is a great prophecy to read. He was one of the youngest of the prophets, and he questions everything, 
Every single thing. And you need to wrestle with it, you see. You see, study to show yourselves approved. That's what old Paul said to young Timothy. Roll up your sleeves. Be a workman. Get into the Bible. Get to make, it, make it alive to you. Make it alive. And, and start to wrestle with the text. And, 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 and you need to wrestle with it. Like, like you mean, God, you say in the Old Testament that you hate the world. And then you say, love the world. What does that mean? Well, then what you need to do is you need to get into the study in this greatest book of all time. And when you study it, here's what I'd say to you. If you're going to wrestle with the text, be careful that you can handle the text when it starts wrestling with you. Because it will. It'll start wrestling with your head. It'll wrestle with your theology. It'll wrestle with your lifestyle. Because that's what it does. Don't be deceived. Don't set aside this book and allow yourself to live for all the stuff that you've got an appetite for. That's what it said to you. Don't set this book aside and allow yourself to live for the stuff that you've got a, 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 an appetite for because one day all of us will have to stand before God. And, 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 and if you don't like it, say you don't like it. If you're struggling to agree with it, no problem with that at all. Just don't change it. Don't change it. It's the Word of God. And we need to allow it to dwell in us richly. That's what the Bible says. And last point. If you don't allow it to dwell in you richly, what happens is you start to reach for comfort instead of destiny. And that's the road to ruin. You see, Jesus didn't die to make you comfortable. Jesus died to give you an eternal destiny. He didn't die to sort out all your home comforts and make everything cool until you get home to heaven. Now hear me, our hearts, if they're left unchecked, will always go down the self route, will always go down the easy comfort route. And that's why, that's why, that's why Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. There's something every morning before God that you have to bring and lay yourself down before him again. Last scripture before we, we finish. It's a long scripture, but let me read it to you because it's really important to Peter. And it says, for a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If indeed they have escaped the corruption of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, only to be entangled and overcome by it again, their final condition is worse than it was at first. It would be better for them that they had not known the way of righteousness than to have known it, and then to turn away from the holy commandment passed on to them. Of them the proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed only goes back to wallowing in the mud. Now, before we judge the dog and the sow too quickly, how many times have we returned to the thing that we never thought we would? I spit that out long ago. Why are you texting them again? Why are you looking that up again? Why are you trying to allow that opinion of others to form an opinion of you? And we pray, God, help me. Give me a new appetite. Transform me. Let me do it your way. All of that. You know, they say that um, the FBI and the special services that go after counterfeit money, when they're training their, their specialists to look for counterfeit money, you'd think what they'd do is they'd bring in counterfeit money and they'd let them, they'd let them see and feel and see the fake. No, 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 that's not what they do. They surround them with real money. <laughs> they handle it and they feel it and they examine it. And so when they come across a fake, they've spent so much time around the real thing they can spot the fake a mile away. My prayer is tonight that God would inundate us with the real thing so that as soon as a golden calf shows up, we'll spot it a mile away. We'll know it's not Yahweh. 
You see, let's not replace them. When I got my new car, when I got my new car, I had a box of stuff in the boot of my old car. I had a bottle of water because it was thirsty. It needed water all the time. And it was topping up twice a day. And a little bottle of oil because it needed that maybe twice a day as well. And um, I had all the mod cons in this little box in, in the boot of my old car. And I lifted the box out of my old car and put it in my new car. And a friend of mine said, Phil, what are you doing? You don't. You don't need that in your new car. Now, it stayed in it a few weeks, and then I realized that I could put it in the garage because, you see, a broken car needs a whole lot of supplements, and so does a broken heart. And a lot of the extras that's going on in your life at the minute, God's saying, you don't actually need those anymore because you're a new creation, and you can take that box out of your boot and do away with it because there's a new thing there's a new thing. Now, the guys are going to come and uh, lead us in a song, and we're going to respond, all right? Um, let's drench ourselves in worship, and let's go for the real thing so that when the deceiver comes up, we'll smell him a mile away. You might say tonight, let's bow our heads a moment or two just as we finish, because Maybe tonight, some of you have been reaching for what's familiar instead of what's faithful, trying to deform what actually is supposed to transform you, and reaching for comfort instead of destiny. But here's the thing. If you're going to do anything for God, nothing great ever just happens. And my question is, what are you reaching for? And if we're going to see revival then our hearts and our souls need to be attuned to him like never before. We just can't afford some of the stuff that we're carrying because it's just going to dilute. And so with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd love to ask the question tonight, if you're in this room and maybe you've never made Christ your Savior and Lord and you're in this room and you're saying, I, I, I need to do that, I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that right now, all right? I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front, but I would love you to give me a wave um, so I can see all our heads are bowed, all our eyes are closed, so nobody's looking at you, only me. And I'd love tonight if you're saying, Phil, I need to get this sorted. I've been reaching for all the wrong things, and I've never in my life actually put that question right. And I never actually even, maybe even realized that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And tonight I'd love to I'd love to sort that. Just going to give this about 20 seconds and then we move on. That's you. Just put your hand up so I can see it and I'll acknowledge it and you can take it down. I see you. Any more? Okay, I'd love you to stand with me, would you? Um, I'd love you to stand. We're going to worship. And uh, then 
I know Robbie's carrying something here as well, but uh, I'd love us just to not linger too long. Um, we, we, we'll bring our, our meeting to a close in, uh, for it or before it, all right? And um, then if you want to stay on and worship, the, the, I'm sure the team are only too glad to keep going for a little while, but we'll, we'll draw it to conclusion in the next five or six minutes. But um, I want to pray. And as we worship, I just sense that we're in a holy moment. And uh, Father, I just pray tonight that you would do what only you can do. I pray, God, that you would, if we could have fixed ourselves, we would have done it a long time ago. So just invite you to come now by your Holy Spirit. Father, I give you my heart. Can you put me back together? I won't run from you anymore. I'll give you my all. Tonight I'll give you these hands that have tend, would tend to grab for all the wrong things at times. Tonight, God, I give you my mind that wanders into dark places at times. Lord, tonight I give you my sexuality that tends to be promiscuous and adventurous at times. I give you my identity. Those might be prayers that you're all praying tonight. Um, and you know, it's uh, the enemy is the enemy is subtle. And he steals away from us by just throwing little nuggets of, I, I say this all the time, he will feed you a notion of truth to give you a spoonful of poison. He will feed you a notion of truth to give you a spoonful of poison. He's so subtle and so sneaky. And if you're not aware in these last days, you'll just fall for his lie every time. And so what we do, we're going to worship. Um, we, we create a bit of space out here. If tonight as we worship, and then Robbie will close us off. Um, as we worship, if you're just sensing tonight that any of those things are just maybe reaching for wrong things, or and, and, and you know, so, some, of the, some of the wrong things might be bad things. You know, I said this a few weeks ago that um, idols are usually good things that have become the ultimate thing. <laughs> idols can just be a good thing that has become the ultimate thing and has taken over all of your God life. And if that's you tonight, maybe you're just saying, I would love to give myself a fresh tonight. Because that's how revival comes. Revival comes when the church renews themselves and says, surrender it all, God. I'm giving you all the stuff. No more box in the boot. So, Father, I pray that right now that you'll come in Jesus' name. That's the veil of the space. If you feel that's you tonight, move up into the space and allow God to minister as we worship. And then Robbie will... We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.